Hello and welcome back. My name is Luke and you're listening to another episode of the Next Stage Podcast. Cryptocurrency's extraordinary surge from $1 to $3 trillion in value has attracted lots of new investors, drawn by the potential for huge profits and a culture defined by risk-taking. In this episode of the Next Stage Podcast, Tezos' Kathleen Brightman, Ledger's Pastel Gauthier, and Draper's associates Tim Draper discuss how they developed new solutions driving cryptocurrencies forward and analyze what's next for a traditionally unpredictable and notoriously volatile industry. All right. Welcome. <laughs> Kathleen, let's begin with you. I want to talk about um, Tezos. You guys were one of the first into this space. Um, there's lots of competitors now. You said something interesting a few years back, which is that the ones that matter will be winner take most. What, what do you mean by that? Explain that to us a bit. Yeah, so um, Tezos is a smart contract platform. Uh, in many ways, it's uh, similar to Bitcoin and Ethereum. One big difference is that Tezos can seamlessly upgrade itself uh, based on the vote of token holders. And so the idea behind that is to make it future-proof, uh, to make it constantly technically um, up-to-date. And uh, our, our belief is that um, money thrives with network effects. And so the more people use uh, a cryptocurrency, obviously, the more likely it is to become uh, a dominant cryptocurrency. Um, and so that's what we mean when we say uh, that, you know, basically there'll be a few dominant players and then a bit of a taper off. You know, there's only so many uh, cryptos that can have a strong network effect. Tell us about the, um, the governance um, kind of philosophy behind cryptocurrencies. It's a system in a way that um, you should trust in because it's built in a trustless way. Uh, or explain that. Well, the thing that got me all excited about Bitcoin way back when was uh, that, that Bitcoin to me represented freedom. The idea that I could use this currency anywhere around the world. It was decentralized. No centralized control system would would overprint them or mess with the the, uh, uh, the the way they were the way they operated, and trust in that there was this trusted third party that was completely in software, and we didn't need the um, to pay the banks and pay the government that supports the banks or or regulates the banks, and all of a sudden there was this it was an epiphany penif. <laughs> That's jet lag. Epiphany. Epiphany for me, where all of a sudden I thought, oh my gosh, this isn't just a new currency. It's just not just a global currency. It's an anthropological leap forward. We, as humans, are now going to have a currency that can be used anywhere around the mm. globe. Mm. It's going to make these geographic borders less and less important. And, uh, and we're going to build a wealthy society all the way around the world. And that, to me, was the beginning. And that was so important. And, and then I, I backed both of these guys because, well, for one, Ledger was the one place where you could, you could hold on to a currency and it was in your hand. And it gave me this feeling like, oh my gosh, I don't need the bank, I have this. And that was, that's what got me going on Ledger. And Tezos was the first currency that was proof of stake. And it made it so that you didn't need as much um, energy to run it. And, uh, and the governance of it was 
was an evolutionary governance of the token. And I felt like that was, that was kind of a, a new breakthrough. And so, yeah, I'm to, with two of my favorite entrepreneurs right here. Pascal, let's talk about security, because one of the notions is that in this system, uh, there is no middle person, um, and that the, uh, the, the security, in a sense, is built into the system itself, right, into the software. But nevertheless, security around cryptocurrencies is becoming a bigger issue. Um, how are we going to kind of, as more and more retail investors come into the space, how do we address that issue, that issue of security? Yeah, it's, a, it's a real topic for cryptocurrencies because it starts by saying that blockchain is secured. And so it gives the false impression of security for the user because actually going in and out of the blockchain isn't secure by nature. This is where you need to sign with your private key and prove that you're the owner of a coin. And this is where the attack is happening. And so when you enter into cryptocurrency, you have to understand that there is a complete change in the way that you were doing security before and the way that you do security now. Just before cryptocurrencies, you would trust your bank, you would trust a third party with your money, and security was their problem. It was their problem and the insurance problem. As soon as you move into crypto, and if you want to hold your crypto, then your security becomes your problem. And so you have to forget everything that you learned about security and learn again with crypto, which is why education is a big thing for crypto companies. You know, Binance, Ledger, Coinbase, we all have uh, learning academies to teach users about cryptocurrencies and security. But this is, really some, this is really a game where you need to learn again how to do your security, because there are two things that are happening. One, the value on crypto is ever-raising. We went from zero to almost three trillion in value right now. Mm. And you will raise again in the future, think like tens of trillions that go on the blockchain. And at the same time, you have cybersecurity cyber issues that are on the raise as well, regardless of crypto. But when these two phenomena meet, you know, this is where something um, terrible could happen. Because if you switch the value of the world onto a blockchain, and you don't handle security and cybersecurity well, then hackers will have a feast. And so we don't want that. That's why Ledger exists. But also, that's why everyone in this room should pay attention to their security and cybersecurity in general. So you mentioned um, how much money is flowing into cryptocurrencies. Last week, $1.5 billion came into cryptocurrencies, which was the, the biggest inflow week. Um, and I think many weeks this year has been. It keep, the record keeps being broken. I want to though touch on two topics which may challenge that to some extent. One is China. China um, in September and earlier in the year kind of began to crack down on the use of cryptocurrencies and in September uh, declared all activities related to digital coins illegal. Are we going to see, let's begin with Kathleen, are we going to see more of that kind of thing from other governments? I, I mean, I take uh, any contempt earned from China as a great endorsement of, of Bitcoin in the mission. <laughs> um, you know, I think that if you're getting the attention of global governments um, that are trying to ban you, you're probably doing something right uh, in, in the sense that, um, you know, this is all about, as Tim said, empowering people. Um, and if, uh, if a pernicious actor sees that as a threat, that's a tremendous validation. Okay, pa Pascal, do you agree? Oh yeah, 100%. And also I feel that we shouldn't look at China too much. I mean, I don't think they're a beacon for the free world. 
And I think we should focus on, you know, what we do and, you know, growing free economies, you know, free access to the market. That, that's what we're all about. And so China is exactly what not to do and we should focus on what's right to do. And, you know, like Tim said earlier, you know, Bitcoin is freedom. So, you know, if you care about freedom, I think, you know, you should, uh, you know, you should think about that and build towards that, not against it. It's also a good test for Bitcoin because it's meant to be censorship resistant, right? Right, right. Tim, I think what's they've made on China? the biggest mistake ever. This is the equivalent of in 1999 for a government to ban the internet. It, it's the most. It, it's it's just stupid. And the, he's trying to control everybody, and he, you know, oh, we've all got to go back to communism and. It doesn't work. It didn't work. It doesn't work in North Korea. It doesn't work in Cuba. Didn't work in China before. I don't know what he's thinking other than he wants to have self-aggrandizement at the, at the sacrifice of his own people. I mean, that's a billion entre potential entrepreneurs out there that are now have, have gotten their wings clipped. And it makes no sense. Okay, let, let's um, touch on another issue which is uh, challenging for some people. Um, at the moment, obviously, world leaders are gathering in Glasgow to talk around about climate change. Um, and one of the great criticisms of cryptocurrencies is how much energy it takes to produce them. Um, is this a reason that people should not invest in cryptocurrencies? Is this a reason why governments should step in? Um, no, actually, what's interesting is uh, the miners have found new sources of energy that weren't even there before, and a lot of that's happened, and the, the overall cost of energy has continued down this slope because of all the innovation that's happening because Bitcoin requires energy. The other thing is that over time, um, the amount of energy to throw a switch continues down because it used to be a five volt switch and then it was a three volt switch and it was a 1.8 volt switch, 1.3. It keeps moving down this uh, uh, pattern like Moore's law. Uh, so it's gonna use less and less and less energy over time. I think they're thinking very short term mm. and they're not thinking, well, what's really gonna happen? And when you use quantum computing, it's going to be almost negligible. Mm. So it's a non-argument, but they, I'll tell you, a lot of politicians are nervous that their so-called power is being taken away by the freedom created by all of these cryptocurrencies. Okay. And, and that is, um, those are politicians that are very short-sighted. I mean, freedom works. God, it worked in America. It worked in South Korea. It worked in Japan. It worked in all these. It worked throughout a lot of Europe. Kathleen, what's, what are your thoughts on on um, how much energy it takes to to produce? Right. Well, um, I'll just. Tezos currency. is a proof-of-stake uh, token, so we don't use the proof-of-work mechanism that um, consumes a lot of energy. 
Um, and so I think it's quite telling that many of the projects that have launched over the last five years, you know, last two years really, um, don't use proof of work full stop. So um, my contention is that proof of stake is a much better technology that achieves the same thing without as much energy consumption, um, which is something we should embrace. Uh, but to Tim's point, I do think a lot of the criticism of Bitcoin as you know, this energy consuming monster um, is mostly made by people who don't see it as having value in the first place. So you know, my conjecture is that uh, Bitcoin solves a problem that we've been trying to solve since um, the Middle Ages, which is basically moving value across large swaths of land without the use of an intermediary. Um, this is a huge problem that is solved very elegantly by software uh, in Bitcoin um, and in Tezos. And I think it's great that there's an alternative that doesn't use as much um, energy. But you know, just from face value, I don't think that's the, the most, uh, uh, I, I guess, um, most honest criticism of the space. I don't, I don't think the banks um, use less energy than Bitcoin does. I think Bitcoin will be a far more green system of, mm. of financial, uh, the world financial system than if we went back, if we go back to the, to the National banking currencies. Okay. I mean, all those people, they all drive to work, they build big fancy buildings on the backs of, of our credit cards. It's, it doesn't work as well as a good software system. Pascal? Look, it's, it's a big topic. I, I think energy crisis, climate crisis, in general, I think will be fixed by technology, will be fixed by taking people out of poverty, will be fixed by education, will be fixed by better behavior. So everything that goes into that direction, I think, is good. I think, you know, a global financial system that helps people accessing directly the network compared to where we are today, where most people are actually unbanked, don't really have access to the financial system. I think it's better in general. And you know, you might, you might be consuming energy today, but like Tim said, it will not in the future. There, there are innovation already in the market that prove that you can do this without energy. So I think overall it's good and we shouldn't be trapped into uh, you know, always trapped into these type of discussions because then it means that any innovation is wrong because you always consume energy and so, and, and finally why? Why would we do something new? Why would we do something different? Why not go back into a cave? So I despise that. I think, au contraire, uh, we need to invest into technology, future and wealth because that's how we solve the, the bigger problems. Okay. So to wrap up, I'd just like a minute from each of you I think for a lot of people, the main use of cyber of cr cryptocurrencies is is a, as an investment, right? They're they're um, buying them to um, to hope that they they go up in value. But I'd like to hear this year where that that's become much more popular. What are the uses of cryptocurrencies that are beginning to emerge? The kind of the the way we can use them actually not just as an investment. Um, from each of you. Maybe we begin with you, Tim. Yeah, my, um, I, I went to a barber in New York City, and I, I always test, are you using Bitcoin? And he said, and I, I said, do you accept Bitcoin? And he said, yes. And I went, what? <laughs> I didn't want to give up my own Bitcoin for it, but I kind of wanted to just to test the system. Um, OpenNode has been using it for a lot of different uh, retailers, mm. and that's exciting. But here's the moment that I think is going to be a real cataclysmic event. And that is 
the moment I can buy my my food, my clothing, and my shelter all in Bitcoin, mm. there is no reason for me to ever use fiat currency again mm. because it is at the it is at the mercy of all of these uh, political forces and government systems, and and it usually inflates over time, so it so its value decreases, right. whereas. Bitcoin, there are only 21 million, and that's all there ever will be. But you put your finger on something, and Pascal, maybe we can come to it. As long as it keeps, as long as cryptocurrencies keep um, going up in value as quickly as they have been over the last few years, why would you use them to spend? You'd be better, you'd be smarter to hold on to them. That's why you didn't spend your cryptocurrency and uh, your Bitcoin in the right. barber, right? So be because we don't all live in the United States or in <laughs> Europe. Some people live in Lebanon. Uh, we have uh, a show on Ledger called Down the Rabbit Hole, and we just did a show on Lebanon. Lebanon, you know, there is real economical crisis, real fiat crisis, actually. The fiat is not backed anymore, so it's worth zero. Uh, and so, you know, what is the choice that these people have? You know, they either have, like, dollars in their hand and or cryptocurrencies. So Lebanon you know, is thriving on cryptocurrency right now. And, you know, we have a show, you can look it up, go on ledger.com, find into the rabbit hole. But this is one use. El Salvador this year went full mm. crypto, and now you can buy your Big Mac in, uh, <laughs> with Lightning. In, uh, and, and it's important, like, we have to understand that not everyone lives into the dollar, the euro. Like, the dollar and the euro, dollar is Tim's currency, euro is my currency. For most people in Africa, it is not their currency. Mm -hmm. So they need something else, sir. Yeah, um, I think what's been cool to watch this year in particular is the rise of non-fungible tokens, um, which are basically a way to have a certificate of ownership uh, that lives in the blockchain. Uh, that's really taken off for a lot of digital artists, for example. Um, and I think that's great because for many of them, they were um, struggling to monetize their work for many years, and now they have a clear path to do so. Um, and so I think that's like internet at its best is when like you know people can find their tribe and support you know support things that they like um, far away. Great. Okay, Kathleen, Tim, Pascal, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And if you want to get in touch with us and let us know what you want to hear, be sure to check us out on any of our social media accounts or visit websummit.com. That's websummit.com. And be sure to give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you're hearing this podcast now.